Welcome to another episode of Who's to Say. I'm your host, Tom Foolery, and if you haven't already, I would like to ask you to please listen to the last two episodes, The Perils of Isms. They were, in my humble opinion, they were some of the most well-researched and comprehensive episodes I've contemplated and put into production, but they're a timely precursor to what we're talking about today in the training sphere, because as long as we're being deliberate about our language and choice of words to communicate, I want to make that distinction between training and exercise, and I'll do that today, but you might be asking yourself, why training, or, or what are we training for, or why train at all? And the very real perils that we are all due to encounter because of the dominance of certain isms, uh, the two that I recently tackled were corporatism and scientism, and we're staring down those dual barrels right now. And although there are really so many factors that are out of our control, uh, the, the reason we train, as we've talked about before, is for resilience. And part of how we reclaim some order and control in our lives, I believe, is that we select and we choose the sort of struggles and hardships that we want to face. And that willingness alone, I, I think, pays dividends. Just your your vulnerability and your willingness to engage in some pain and suffering and sweat. Uh, but there, there's the preparation element as well. And when we talk about fitness and we try to, it, it's such a... Uh, I, I guess a gimmicky word and has been for years now, uh, whether it's health and fitness or fitness in general, uh, what, one of the classic definitions, of course, is the ability to perform a task. So fitness to run without injury, uh, to lift without injury, to do something efficiently and well, uh, that, that's fitness in a classical sense. But it's also the... I think the amalgamation of your efforts in preparation for something. So it's a fitness to be able to perform uh, or to be ready to do anything at a moment's notice. One of the guiding cornerstones of my personal fitness is to be able to do anything, pretty much. I mean, yes, there's some high skill stuff out there, which uh, I would love to humble myself for. But in general, I want to be able to hike, run, swim, bike, jump, throw, play, whatever. And I, I think that you, you, you might say that's too much, but, uh, and, and we're going to talk about this shortly, a general physical preparedness, a, a broad readiness to be able to handle any activity, any task, any uncertainty, uh, that, that preparation can only really be defined by training, by a committed effort to get better, to pursue an ideal goal. And one of those idyllic goals, I think, is to be hard to kill. And so that means you're strong, you're fast, you're quick, you're flexible, you're not easily taken out. And I know a few people who are very hard to kill. And as I'm fond of saying, and as coaches are fond of saying, if you're very alive, then you're very hard to kill. And this is certainly a, a theme and a building block for this podcast. Uh, 
is is to explore some of those ways in which we want to be uh, the strongest, best version of ourselves, well-rounded, of course. Uh, so in, in a primal sense, as we have talked about, yes, there's better living through modern health and, and supplementation, but in a, in a primal sense, I think the greatest contribution to the greater good historically is when you are healthy and strong, when you're informed as to the whys of your life, when you're being responsible and you're being resilient. I, I think that's a tribal paradigm of sorts that we seek to emulate when we look at primal principles. And that that healthy, strong element, yeah, it, it just makes you a, a more dynamic contributor to your society and to your small world. And I, I would have to say one of the most profound and poetic influences that I have encountered to really embrace training as a lifelong, a a, a lifelong commitment. Uh, That came from Bruce Lee because I think in the seventies he, and, and, and this is kind of the, one of the beautiful things of our time and our generation is we have people who are the product of now decades of regular training and exercise. And whereas I think it used to be somewhat extraordinary if you had a, 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 a relative or someone you knew who, who lived longer and was in great shape and they just, oh, you know, I walk and I play tennis and golf and uh, I do a little bit of yoga here and there. And but, but I live in Florida and California and I spend most of my life in the sunshine and outdoors. So I got that going for me. But Thankfully, now we have people who were inspired in the 20th century to take care of themselves, to pursue amazing feats of strength and consistent levels of strength and coordination, athleticism. And there's a few original gangsters of of that epoch, but uh, I give Bruce Lee the credit for combining the art with the practice. Uh, it was his stamp on history that brought us Jeet Kune Do. And I, I think people in the mixed martial arts community look at him as a founding father as well, because he sought to bring together the classical martial arts and was not, he, he was very, he was very critical of rigidity and ideology, and I, I think his influence was with me in those two epi- previous episodes I just mentioned because he talked about rigidity being death. Uh, so if, if you are clinging to the ideals or the strictures or the dictates of uh, a certain school of thought, a school of uh, teaching, uh, you really limit yourself, and it can be near impossible to grow from that mindset. And so we are all indebted to Bruce Lee in this world of health and fitness, uh, and, and especially more, more athletic disciplines and practices that he made that distinction of looking at the art. And I, I I think you could, you could talk about the art of living and look at it with the lens of how can I improve and then that led to, and, and not in a, I mean, Bruce Lee certainly had his ego. If you read his biography by Matthew Polly, which I'll link to, uh, I think that's clear that he was for a time driven by 
uh, especially into his acting career, he was driven by ego and realizing the fullest self-image that he could for outward performance. Uh, but even still, it had that beautiful gray area of inspiration and self-improvement because it necessitated that he always look at how can I improve and uh, it was his ego that led him to say, it's not good enough just to have these separate and distinct schools of martial arts. What, what if we blended some of them? What if we took certain spices from each of them to make this delicious recipe that is effective no matter the circumstance? So how do we sharpen that toolkit? And so you, you, you take that art, which went untouched for so long, like many classical arts that we have today, and then he channeled it into a practice of regular effort, analysis, uh, criticism, collaboration, and you, you select your approaches from there. So uh, art versus practice, I think, is something else we can be deliberate about because especially if maybe you're considering or you're, or you're in the throes of a highly technical pursuit, uh, especially anything with the, with the body or with the adroitness of your hands, uh, or your focus, then there's a, I think maybe we can get tripped up on the art and we don't want to defile the art with our immaturity or our, our, our clumsiness. I know that can be a, a big hit to my ego trying to pick up new things, but uh, that's where we get the practice element. And Bruce Lee is one of those great role models for uh, enlightening people to pursue that practice and to approach it with discipline, with energy, with passion to get better and to improve yourself. So that's why you, you hear more talk these days, I think, about uh, choosing the right practices for you, meditation, breath work, long endurance, uh, take your pick. But as we, as we start to delve into the principles here that influence the quote-unquote perfect program, the timeless program, which I'll deign to explore for all of our benefits, for, for mine included, my own program has taken on so many different shapes and colors throughout the years, uh, and novelty is somewhat at the, at the nexus of that. But uh, as we start to delve into the principles, I'm reminded that those principles are few, but the methods are many. I think it was Matt Brown who said that, who's a great uh, mixed martial artist out of Ohio and out of the West Side Barbell Gym, really a savage coming out at 42 or 43 to uh, fight another savage in the in the UFC. So, uh, and he's gone on to coach. But it was another coach who highlighted some uh, classic uh, quotes for me that when I think of if there are banners I wanted to have in my gym or great reminders because I, I, I think I've mentioned in my interview with Steve Kiley and Matt McClune, former coaches of mine in high school, who and they're two men who continue to coach and teach and, and lead young men and women. Uh, and I, I am so inspired by them on a regular basis and so glad to know them. Uh, as I think we talked about in, in their, in my interview with them, uh, you really take inspiration from wherever you get, but you, you do try to keep it simple and universal. And we, we all really appreciate Dan John cause he's one of the, those OGs. And I remember he shared in a post about, uh, you know, a couple, couple banners he had seen in, in gyms and a recent, uh, might've been in Europe, but number one was do less better. 
Also, strength has a greater purpose, of course. I think that was the title of my interview with the coaches. And pursuing fundamental human movements. So if we started with that, fundamental human movements, when we ask ourselves the question, how do we approach the construction of a program for ourselves? One of my first inklings is that it's all an experiment. We are our own greatest science experiment. The levers we can pull, the supplements we can take, the variables that we can manipulate to get a desired result. We are the ones coming up with, well, if I do, if I do this, then will X, Y, or Z happen? We're, we're the lab coat-wearing scientists in the lab for ourselves with our own chemistry, biology, anatomy, whatever field of science you want to pick. But it really should not be anyone else or too many other people designing that experiment. So as always, as we look to take in more, to embrace more radical responsibility in our lives, of course, what our body is able to do is a major element of that. So if it's all an experiment, and it's the greatest, in fact, in my goal, uh, in, in my perspective, uh, then I think that becomes very goal-driven. What do we, wh- who do I want to be? I mean, this is a, a very, this has been a very profound interest of mine lately is, is to start to incorporate more imagery into my life. And I try not to get too caught up in whether people are visual learners or audio learners. And I, I understand that's, that's maybe a trope in the education sphere. I, I think otherwise how people receive information, it, it does resonate on different levels. I think, I think that's valid, but when it comes to learning new things, um, so in imagery for, for me has, has been one, but it's a profound practice. If you were to envision who do I want to be? And, and in a, in a very real sense, I mean, what do I want to look like? What's that mirror image reflecting back at me? And then Paul Chex talks about this. Uh, It's like the, I I think it was the Puritans, uh, pray and move your feet. It's the idea of you envision that, you imagine that to agree. And and again, we'll make the distinction between imagination and imaginary. Not not fantasizing, although it is a little bit of that. It is a powerful fantasy that should inspire some positivity. But it is using your imagination to create an image that you can strive for and it's you and it's not some foreign object that you desire but it's you really you it's just a a, 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 an image a, a statue that you haven't sculpted yet but the compelling goal is to envision that and then act like you are that person when you envision who you are and in reality who you want to become why not start moving like that person, thinking like that person, acting like that person, eating like that person, hydrating like them, uh, going to sleep like them? You know what I mean? It, it is. And, and maybe what we lack when we fail to implement, FTI, failure to implement, uh, when we let ourselves out in that respect, maybe it's because we don't have the clearest image of who we want to be. 
I think that has slowed me down a lot of times in my life. And maybe that resonates with you is when you lack the clarity of where you want to go. It's, it's, it's that old adage of, um, if you don't know how to get there anywhere, we'll take you there. You can go down dead ends galore and wrong turns and you'll probably eventually get to your destination. But, uh, I know efficiency and economy, especially in this day and age, is prized when we're on our route. We, we rely so much on GPS and the, and the fastest way and, and Google or Siri, what's the easiest way to do X, Y, and Z? So this is, not to say that those things aren't helpful, but we do need the experiment. We do need to try different things and, and do that research and, and do that work in the lab of, is this something I can handle? Is, is this something that is productive? But it needs to be primarily driven by our desire. So that, that's that. I, I think of, uh, I've mentioned it before, but uh, Dr. Andy Galpin, who to anyone who asks what they should do, he says that depends. And the second part of that sentence is that depends on what you want. Uh, that being said, I still greatly prize in training when we're talking about preparation, when we're talking about readiness and fitness, uh, there is a requirement, a prerequisite, if you will, for GPP. And I'm grateful to my coaches for uh, preaching GPP to me uh, because it's still, it still it remains a foundation for a lot of the things that I do and I share with people. General physical preparedness. Are you able to get up and down, push things, carry things. So, so, and, and I don't want to speak too broadly. I'll speak specifically here because those primal movement patterns that we should all remember and then replicate and play with in the gym. And we'll, and we'll talk about how you play with it in a minute, but, uh, squatting, hinging. So bending over at the waist, uh, pushing, pulling, twisting, carrying, throwing, uh, this is the well-roundedness of movements that is really a, a basal level to human performance. And we neglect these things because, and, and this is just another product of modernity, that uh, we are relieved of doing too many of these things. And I, I guess in a way, it's sort of, I had a buddy who used to, whenever I used to chirp him about not being in the gym, uh, his retort was often, oh, you know, I, dude, I'm doing... I'm doing stuff in the yard and, and I'm working outside and it's, it's a totally reasonable retort. Uh, but we are robbed in so many ways of the ability to express these motions regularly throughout the day, unless we are committed to training. This is, this is why it's such a powerful supplement. Uh, and, and I, again, I'll, 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 dissect these elements of training. I'm not just talking about strength. And, and, and again, notice I'm not saying that you need GPP with a certain bench press and a, and a certain deadlift. Those are, those are the lifts themselves. They're not the movements that we're trying to train. And, and I think that is a significant facet of training is the ability to perfect and hone movements. Can you squat smoothly? Can you pick something off the floor without pain? Can you push and pull without compromising the health of your neck and your shoulders and your spine? Uh, can you twist comfortably? I, I think that's so often neglected. People are so afraid of twisting, but it's all you, it's often so much of what we do. You just can't help it. I've talked about getting in and out of the car. 
wouldn't you like to be ready for something that you do on a daily basis, often with some strain or awkwardness or what have you? Uh, can you carry things? Uh, one of my uh, cherished moments from childhood is, is as with anyone, is uh, trying to take all the groceries home in, in one trip. And my mom, as I was getting older, used to say, that's great natural bodybuilding. You won't have to take steroids someday or protein or anything or hit the gym. You just need to keep carrying in groceries for your mom. So uh, thankfully, I didn't listen to her because that was not good advice. And I, I found weights one day. But uh, But no, I mean, so... That, that's why we're not training certain lifts, although I am going to share with you some strength standards that uh, Dan John has written about, and I, and I do think they are quite, uh, they're, they're great benchmarks. But uh, the, the, to round out this idea of general physical preparedness, I w- would envision that training should include Yes, you can do the strength work fast, but I really believe in speed work of, of some vein. Uh, sprinting has become very in vogue lately. I think that does take a lot of prior training and muscle awareness and flexibility for sure to avoid injury. So there, there's some precursors to that. But I, I also think of it more in in our own lives and in other in other areas of the gym, it's just fast twitch work. So uh, kettlebell swings are, of course, a great example. It's repetitive. It does recruit a lot of fast twitch muscle. Anything plyometric, what, jumping. I mean, j- jumping rope, uh, the ability to spring off your foot and your heels time after time after time, uh, an incredible fast twitch exercise. And so uh, devoting a, a day or half a workout sprinkled into other workouts for speed is critical for staying young, just especially because we've seen uh, some of the literature and studies done on the ability to preserve fast twitch muscles. It's really no surprise that, that people who remain active, I, sp- I think especially in sports like tennis, squash, uh, basketball, golf, if, if those are sports that you can play late into life, there's so much fast, tw- uh, fast twitch muscle recruitment uh, that is, I, I think, imperative to staying young and having being able to prevent falls and injury and things like that. I, I think that's uh, become a mainstay of how we understand aging and aging gracefully. Uh, and then, of course, endurance. The ability to maintain an exercise or an activity for a sustained period of time. It doesn't need to be while you're redlining, although it's really easy to get there if you're trying to maximize your your, uh, VO2 max and your endurance capability. But if you can do one bloody monotonous uh, but somewhat taxing activity on a bike, on a rower, on a Stairmaster, on a treadmill, out on the road... Uh, for 40 plus minutes to an hour plus, and, and you can go from there, uh, you're checking a lot of, a lot of systems boxes, uh, not just, not just for your heart, but your muscular endurance, your mental endurance. I mean, there's so much overlap to training, which is why it's so beautiful and why, why I get so fired up about it and why I wanted to share some of these details with you all today, because, uh, these things don't exist in a vacuum. They are systems that we're training and they touch and pervade so much of our body, um, and and all, all the all the things that go into the mind body, your emotions, your uh, recovery, your uh, of course of course movement. I mean, one of the great insights I learned about movement is that it is essential to process nutrition throughout your body. You need 
and and it wasn't quite a revelation, but it was a great reminder. This was something I think we talked about as well on the podcast with my coaches. Is I think I I think I posited to them that uh, people need to be reminded more than they need to be told what to do. Uh, and I, and I, and for the most part, I think that's true. I think there's a lot of things that people know they're supposed to be doing and yet, uh, without, you know, their own self-criticism and, and, uh, repression of, uh, some of their own commitments and things that we all struggle with when we know that there's something we should be doing, but don't, uh, I, I think, I think reminders are quite helpful and that's a, that's a big, uh, and I think that's a big motivation for today's podcast is I need to reiterate some of these things for myself as I tackle new goals, but, uh, we're going into the fall. It's a time when, and, and we'll talk about some of these elements in just a minute, but, uh, it's a time when I think you regroup because the, the interval of your training, uh, summertime should be more stuff outside, which means maybe you're not taking the heaviest weights with you or you're, or you don't always have machinery at your disposal because you should be outside. Uh, it's, and, and I'm talking about New England, of course, with our two or three months a year of, of bountiful heat and sunshine. The rest of you, wherever you're listening from, uh, if it's in warmer climates, you have no excuse but to be outside. Uh, but, but back to these elements of training, I, I think one of the last ones I would talk about that can kind of blend into speed and endurance as well is interval training. And I've had one of my first uh, really structured commitments to interval training recently uh thanks to xpt those are the folks out in malibu and hawaii laird hamilton gabby reese pj nestler uh some really brilliant people incorporating so many different methods for and they, and they are very performance oriented we'll, we'll talk about that as a guiding goal in a minute but uh interval training just being able to do things in loops uh with varying levels of intensity and sustainability, I just think it's another great stimulus for the body to have limited recovery, to keep running it back, to watch that heart rate go up without uh, really ta- or traumatizing your system too much with anything expressly heavy. Uh, lo- some of the best interval work is done just with your body weight, of course. So I- I'm a fan of, of having these these blocks stack on top of each other to build something that works for you. Uh, of course, at any time when, when we're, especially if you are prioritizing any of these or uh, feeling bold enough to incorporate them all at some consistent clip, there there always needs to be that check-in. Uh, and I've, even in the last episode, was critical of tech, of fitness tech for check-ins because I don't think you want your tech to dictate how you're feeling. I don't think you want your tech to be the thing that tells you if you should or should not work out or, or, or what kind. Uh, I, I think probably the aura ring is the, if not the only, maybe the best wearable out there because you're wearing that while you sleep and sleep can be an elusive thing to evaluate. And, and there's increasing tech on that. Uh, hoping to talk to people in the near future about that world. But other than that, and I, and I express my qualms for some of the uh, intimate uh, health data that, that can be shared with people other than you uh, while you're wearing your wearables. But what I am hoping to share and communicate and 
teach to people as, as best I can, because it is very personal. Uh, but is, is this heightened awareness, especially of your body? And if you learn more about your body, I think you learn more about your mind, yourself, your soul, your spirit, because it's all intertwined, of course. Uh, so, so the check-ins become critical so that you try to determine when you're overdoing it, when you're underdoing it. We'll talk about rate of perceived exertion in a moment. Um, but also in the, in the analysis of exercise selection, which, and so many of these tangential discussions could be podcasts in and of themselves. I'm doing a, a broad overview today. So you, and, and my quick aside here, uh, is that the reason I, I go through some of these things in broader explanation early on in the history of this podcast and the life of this podcast is for my benefit as much as yours to set the table with the education and experiences that I've had that have led me to some of these beliefs. And they're fluid, I hope, uh, that as I learn and experience more that I can adapt them. Uh, but so as I, as I start to engage with more guests and more friends and more ideas that you all know that these are the places where I'm coming from, that I do try to try to mix the, the education experience and, and share that with you. Uh, so like, for instance, one of the great uh, things that I have learned from time immemorial and I, and I hope still continue to some degree is when we talk about exercise selection and determining if something is, is right or working or possible for us, of course, there's an injury history to consider, but when we also weigh novelty in this equation, uh, I think the, so the adage is upper body, smart, lower body, stupid, and tackling this, the smarter, former element of that statement with the upper body that just means that it's comparably easier to change so many things and yet create a different stimulus and experience for your body that's grips angles implements uh i, I think those are really the big three that you can change uh there's time under tension as well uh really i mean i, I it's it's hard to say to people just go out and and play around and, and have fun with it. But that's the point I think we all get to at, at some stage or another is you're saying, well, how long can I hold this squat or how long can I, uh, you know, maintain the, the lowering to the squat and then maybe I'll pause for five seconds and then maybe I'll come up slowly. Maybe I'll hold it at 90 degrees. Maybe I'll hold myself on this chin up bar with my arms at 90 degrees for as long as I possibly can. Like those are the things that when you, when you start having fun with it, then th th that's some of the, the fun stuff that you get into. That's some of the new awareness of your body and your limits, if they exist, that you get into. Uh, and then lower body stupid. I mean, th there's just, there, there's fewer things that you can do cause you're not, I mean, th thanks to the dexterity of your hands and your fingers, you're able to, I, I think, do more creative things with what you can hold and push with your upper body, uh, lower body. I mean, keeping it to those, those squatting, those lunging, hinging movements. Uh, so you can simplify with the lower body, but, but still get creative with how long you're doing things to what range of motion. Uh, I think there's ample, th th these are just whole wells of, uh, of opportunity for, for people to explore. Uh, one other great 
timeless principle, I think. Uh, and, and it may sound trite, but, uh, this, this is something that always rings in my mind. Uh, and especially when I sat down to do this podcast is the idea that the greatest program is the one that you're going to keep doing. So how do we get to that point? How do we, how do we realize the greatest program? Um, we've talked about flow before on the process on the podcast. Uh, I think there has to be the right amount of challenge. Uh, hopefully you're not the kind of person who thinks that the greatest program is the one that you'll keep doing because it's easy. And because, Oh, I just went for 45 minutes and you know, I feel fine. I didn't hurt myself. And maybe I got a really good sweat in cause I was on the bike watching a movie or a show for 45 minutes. And, uh, you know, in that gym, in, in my gym, that ain't going to fly. So, uh, it, it, that's one of the, uh, that's one of the consistent elements of flow is trying to determine the right amount of challenge, but also uh, as older coaches have said, greasing the groove and continuing to work on fundamental movements, skills, capacities. Uh, we, that, that's the idea of checking boxes is in, in a given week or I mean, how, however you want, however myopic you want to get about it, however zoomed in or zoomed out you want to be, I've used the example before with people that I think if you're only training four days a week, I, I think that equates to almost three months out of the year. It's like two and a half, three months out of the year that you're not working out. So you have plenty of time to rest, people, uh, if, you, if you decide that four days a week for training is what you want to do. And uh, based on some of the suggestions I've made in this podcast, if let's say four days a week sounds palatable to you and works with your schedule, uh, that, that could look like two strength days, an endurance day, and a speed day. And man, are you in good shape with that kind of approach. And I, and I, and I mean, like, j- just the condition, uh, the, the health status, because of those boxes you've checked. Uh, now that said, in terms of sustainability or recovery, that, that four day a week model has that built in maybe every other day methodology. Uh, but I, I think for most of us geared toward looking good, feeling good, uh, aging gracefully, as we talked about, uh, when we talk about rate of perceived effort, I think if you're living in the seven to eight out of 10 zone, you are, you, you are cooking with gas there. Um, uh, I, I, and, and, and the caveat is that unless you are performance oriented, which I would love to talk to you because that's, uh, you know, I, I have every intention of working with people anywhere on the spectrum, beginners to maintainers to longevity to performance. Of course, we've talked about the performance and longevity do not coexist that well because with performance, it necessitates that you really necessitates that you live in that eight to 10 zone that you are having to push the threshold of what you're capable of time. And again, build in that rest and recovery so you can repair. Sure. But on the other side of that, you still have to crush it because you've got a race to win, uh, a body to build, um, a certain weight you want to push in your weight class, anything like that. So, so that's the lone caveat to rate of perceived effort Anything six, seven, eight out of ten. I think you're going to leave that workout with that, with that buzz, with that high. Also, have done some constructive damage to your musculoskeleton. Uh, give yourself that time to repair without doing too much damage. And shoot, I mean, I, I really do believe that. Give, given the opportunity, if you've done things right, you know, 
setting yourself up for the right opportunities. If you're doing it right, you're finishing that workout and waking up the next day ready to get at it again. Uh, there, it's it's been a regrettable misconception produced by I, I I won't point fingers because I don't have enough fingers, but uh, just the the promotion of the idea that a workout is not productive unless you're drowning in a pool of sweat, blood, and other body fluid and hardly able to walk. And and that was somewhat mythologized by guys like Arnold and the bodybuilding era that, uh, I mean, and, and again, that's performance. You have to use a critical eye to determine what's a better fit for you. Uh, I think for those of us who are not Arnold, which is the overwhelming majority of us, uh, training in a world with a mentality that I want to feel good enough to uh, go go for a walk after dinner after this workout or be ready to, to sleep well and wake up again and get after it tomorrow. Uh, I think that's where we want to be because that is building up what we're after both in character, in training, in relationships is consistency because that's how we get to know ourselves and what we're capable of. And then if we want to grow, change, evolve from there, and, and channel some more consistency, we have a baseline. Uh, and even still, consistency depends on the, the periodization, the intervals of how you select your exercise. Uh, I, I love this quote from uh, the New Zealand All Blacks rugby uh, strength and conditioning coach, Nick Gill. I remember him saying that if you keep throwing the same thing at the body, it will only be able to do that. But if you give it something it can't handle, the body will adapt. So that's a, I, I, want, I want you to rock with me here because this is a profound statement that if you keep throwing the same thing at the body, it will only be able to do that. But if you give the body something it can't handle, even a little bit, it will adapt. So you do need to give it that adaptation time, but uh, this is why you can't get comfortable. This is why you cannot do the thing. I, I think we see a lot of people struggle and, and I worked in a gym for years. I, I do remember what it was like, how, how frustrating it was just to witness. I, I can't even fathom what it was like for those people, but to see people who had the consistency of being at the gym, but just doing the same thing day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and not being able to see the fruits of that effort. So, I mean, that, that's spinning your wheels to a frustrating degree. And that's why it warrants that we take regular stock at some intervals. You could say there's some people who say four to six weeks, uh, maybe four to six months is a good frame for this discussion. Um, if you want to think about what you're doing seasonally or even half the year, uh, I, I, think, I think there's some some kind of uh, play to be had with, with evaluating what you want to do in certain seasons. It helps if you're playing sports. It helps if you want readiness for certain outdoor events that only come around, you know, if you want to be ready for ski season or swimming or, uh, biking, you know, it, 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 I think those are great milestones to have as well, because they will give you the structure. And even if it's just life, I mean, it, it, people have been ridiculed for, you know, what are you training for? I'm, I'm training for life. I'm trying to be hard to kill and, uh, you know, trying to have a good life. And I, I think there's, um, immense validity to that as well. But, uh, your body will adapt to the same shit if that's all you keep feeding it. 
And uh, as my man Eric Thomas, the hip-hop preacher, says, last year's work ain't good for this year's schedule. So this is, a, I think, a beautiful gift of our awareness is in our self-conscious, we do have that desire to grow, to evolve, to challenge, to fail. Uh, I, I love implementing a wow factor in my training. And wow stands for work on weaknesses. And that's a, that's a great platform literally in the gym is if you can look at yourself critically and transparently and say, these are areas physically, uh, skillfully where I struggle and then go about, you know, I'm, I, I'm fucking giddy about this because I, I love being able to do that kind of research is, hey, I want to get better at X, Y, and Z. And people, let's take it as a blessing that to, to the degree that it is, a, a qualified blessing that so many people, so many people have free, useful, brilliant content in this space. If you, if you want to get better at something, we're, today we're talking about your your training and your your body's ability to do things maybe things you didn't even know that you could do uh it 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 used to be a kind of a joke that everyone on the internet's a doctor well thank god (laughs) because now we have this this library of alexandria almost that's that's offensive to the library of alexandria but uh no we we have a almost an infinite queue of resources and insight into how, how to add tools to the toolbox, as it were. So um, I, I like to connect people with those. I, I, I just know so many people who are gracious enough to put out that content. And it'll just keep you, I, I think it's easy, more attainable now than ever to embrace that no- novelty, to do the research, to plan ahead, think about what do I want my training to be like. And this just, again, th- this brings more sovereignty and radical responsibility into your world that and and I I encourage everyone this that before engaging a coach like me what you should be doing is asking what do I want and then depending on your level of passion discipline commitment to that there's so much that you can do on your own and 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 to and I mean research and then implementation and testing and hey, if you hit a wall on a plateau, then you start to reach out to people who are who are in that space. But I I am all for especially just from my own th- taking advantage of the free ro- free resources that I've discovered uh, and how empowering that's been. That's that's something I'm really about right now is connecting people with you know because I I really don't have the, that much to share that's too novel. I, I, I hope I can admit that, uh, just because I, I am brimming with so many ideas from the past and people who have people like Paul check who have been around for so long. They have seen who have gone through Mike Boyle too. Mike Boyle out of Woburn, Massachusetts always talks about how the, the, the regrets he has, if you're in this game long enough, if you're coaching people, through their health and fitness long enough, you're, you're going to watch yourself go through some really stupid iterations and things that you thought were helpful that will, that were actually harmful. You only learn through time, but we are getting wiser in these fields. And so there, there are a lot of people who are sharing those lessons for free. And I'd like to be that bridge. If, if you have those questions or someone, you know, is struggling, where, where do I begin? Uh, I, I, I try to be that resource. I try to be that bridge for people. Um, 
I, I think in closing, as we talk about the mental side of things, what, what keeps people from being mentally fatigued, uh, or even, even personally fatigued, I mean, to build in relaxation, recovery, habilitation, mobility, just the things that, that help you feel good and safe. Uh, it took me, it took me a long time to incorporate that more regularly into my training. It took, took injury, to be honest, and, and serious injury that constantly reminded me of weaknesses and ways that I was not able to go out and do what I wanted. And that's a, gosh, I mean, that's a, that's a hindrance that it, it weighs on you mentally. I, I'm sure anyone who has had chronic pain knows as well the mental toll that that takes. But PJ Nessler, my man out of XP, XPT, told the story of uh, when he had back injury, spinal injury, and, and finally landed with a good PT, someone he trusted, someone who was knowledgeable. And he talked about when, uh, I, th- I think after working with him for a week, week or two, they went a couple weeks without seeing each other. And when the PT checked on him again, he said, oh, you know, like training's been going great. I've been able to do my deadlifts and my bike stuff. And I've been able to, uh, you know, fit in a, a couple of the exercises you gave me. And his PT said to him, why would you consider the work that we're doing as distinct from your training? And I that really struck me because one of the lessons that the pain teacher taught me is that those things are training. It's not prehab. It's not, oh, I got to go do my PT work or I got to do some yoga today. It is a another building block of your training to keep yourself injury-free or on the road to recovery. You have to incorporate those things. And it's not some add-on. It's not something that, oh, I have to sacrifice my lift today because I have to. No, it's all your body. It's all your training. It's all a, a process on your road to self-improvement. It's really not any different from anything else that you would execute with weights in your hand or, or uh, with bands in your hand, a- anything like that. So that was a crucial reminder for me. I hope it's a helpful one to you that anything you're doing to care for your body, keep you pain-free uh, or recovering, is just as important as anything you would do to get bigger, faster, stronger, more, more endurance, anything like that. Um, so, and, and really what that amounts to is a concept that Paul Chuck talks about, uh, which is working in and everyone's so consumed with working out and that effort and that sweat and knowing that you beat your body up enough to go earn that beer or that pizza or whatever, but working in is just as important as well. And those are the things that help to heal. Uh, those are the things that preserve your mental, emotional, spiritual health. Um, and so, you know, some, some great questions that I encountered, I think from another disciple of Paul Check, who's Laird Hamilton. Uh, when, when we start thinking about our training and at any given interval in time, uh, some questions to act that will to ask that will guide us in choosing what we want to do uh, you can ask what's the weather is this a day when I should be out playing golf playing tennis throwing a ball around biking running because it's gorgeous out and and why would I want to be inside sure it's air conditioning but wouldn't I rather be outside uh, so what are your options what's available to me what are your goals as we've talked about what, what what's really driving is is this workout aligned with my goals, with who I want to be? 
what do you feel like doing? Even for the undisciplined, uninitiated out there, uh, what do you feel like doing is still a great question to ask because uh, the dangers of a rigid program is you would never want to build resentment. You would never, or or that kind of uh, self-starting uh, disillusionment or disengagement, really anything that makes me feel like, oh, you know, shoot, I have to do this today. Never I have to. If, if we are choosing the right words to communicate the right things that we want to have happen in this world for ourselves, uh, have to really doesn't play as an adult. I choose to, I get to is the more effective language. Have to implies that that lack of responsibility, that obligation that we really don't feel that we want to commit to. And it can, it can start to sort of infest, uh, some, some of our more honorable goals and it can, it can erode that by feeling too obligatory. So what do you feel like doing is still a great question to ask if, you know, if I just feel like I want to get a pump today or I just need a long cardio session or I need some yoga or I'm feeling great. I want to go crush it in a tough spin class. Uh, questions, questions are going to help you find those answers. What does the body need is a, uh, f- fundamental question to working in. Is this a day where I need to just stretch and foam roll? Do I need a long walk? Do I need to lay down for 10 minutes and meditate? Uh, or have I been lazy and do I need a, a, a jump start to my battery? Um, so the, I mean, and, and, and what did you do yesterday? Another great question is if I'm, if I'm being redundant, if I'm doing the same, is it really good to hit those same muscles? Is it really good to tax that same system or do I need to switch it up? So as always, Questions are going to help guide you to your desired ends. Uh, and this is all in service of building bodily intuition so that when you ask these questions, what does my body need? What are my goals? What do I feel like doing? What what hurts? What feels really fresh? Uh, that intuition is going to be, talk about keys to longevity. That intuition is going to steward you through really any program. And that, that, that's why I, I didn't write out the program for today. It's going to be determined by you and by the intuition that you develop. Um, I, th- I think some final statements to share, uh, if they haven't come through already in this, in this presentation, uh, it, it, again, just a reminder, don't let technology dictate how you feel. We all, I, I know the stories of these apps, whether it's the whoop or, or polar or whatever that tell people that they're, they're too beat up, whether they didn't sleep well or, or whatever, or, or their heart rates off by six beats per minute or, or whatever. And it, and it tells them that they can't work out today. And, and meanwhile, the person feels great. And now they're caught up between like, well, d- does this app know something I don't know because it's been tracking me and should I really be listening to this? Or you certainly get people at the other end who overtrain and, and are not tuned in. But this will, will always, as we simplify, as we alchemize these things, it will come back to intuition. And when you ask yourself and your soul and your body these questions, over time, you will it, it will be at a volume and at a frequency that you can better understand. Uh I think it's worth saying as a final word, uh, and a, I implore you all to make this fun. It is fun to explore what you're capable of, what you're not good at, and try to make it something that you are good at. 
to continue to build on our strengths, to better understand our strengths, to venture into activities and arenas that we haven't been before. Uh, there's there's community there. There's uh, self-realization there. Um, but this is fun stuff. I mean, the, the ability. So, yeah, it, it, I'll tell you lastly, it was a revelation when I was out on my deck the other day, either reading or meditating. And, and it, it was a very warm day and it had not been breezy. And when I opened my eyes at one time, I saw the trees moving. We have a lot of trees in our backyard. So blessed to have them there. But it reminded me that we remember that we're alive when there's motion. And of course, our thoughts are always racing and our bodies are doing, are creating and, and maintaining functions that we have no remote control of. Uh, but it's movement and motion. And as I watched the wind blow through these trees and animate them and move them, it was another reminder that they're alive. And I think we take for granted with, with how little we move compared to how we used to in our, in our early evolution, really up until the last couple hundred years, uh, it can, it can numb us and it can, we, we can fail to remember how alive, how vital we should be. And when you are in motion, when you are testing and evaluating and honing what you're able to do with your body, you're going to have a lot of fun, I promise you. And, and I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir for a lot of this, but it's another timely reminder because our, our bodies and our minds will be tested uh, any, any day, uh, any, any given day, they'll be tested. And as you're getting ready for that test, you can have a lot of fun exploring and inventing and experimenting. And I'm here to do that with you. you. You know I'm in the lab with you. So before I forget, I wanted to share the strength standards set by Dan John. He's been around long enough to set these. He's, he's someone I trust, especially when it comes to strength. So we'll start with men for male listeners. The expectation is that you should be able to do one rep of a body weight bench press. The game changer or really the above average or excellent metric would be a body weight bench press for 15 reps. It's expected that you can do five pull-ups, but the game changer is 15 pull-ups. The expectation is that you should be able to do one rep of a body weight deadlift or, or somewhere closer to 150% of your body weight. Uh, but the real game changer high level standard is a double body weight deadlift. Similar for the squat, uh, you want to be able to do a body weight squat with that sufficient weight. But to excel, you're shooting for 15 reps uh, just to get that surplus effort. Loaded carry, a farmer walk with total body weight, so that would be half per hand. I'm 200 pounds, so I've got a 100-pound dumbbell in either hand. That's an expectation. Uh, but the game changer is body weight per hand, so good luck finding those dumbbells. <laughs> um, and last, a, ver a very technical effort, which is the Turkish getup. I'll have to post. Uh, I do have some good instructional videos for that because that's, that's quite a dynamic, uh, uh, adroit effort. But uh, to do a Turkish getup on each side, left and right, with half-filled cup of water balancing on your knuckles. So, tremendous amount of balance required there. And for the women, if you're still listening, and I so appreciate you for doing just that, uh, your metrics are for push is a bodyweight bench press. Notice we're not getting into push-ups because push-ups are fundamental, uh, but fun nonetheless. So, bodyweight bench press um, is, uh, and, and still, I mean, th these are higher... And because uh, because he, he doesn't share what the uh, 
what the real standards are. It might vary too much. But uh, so these are some of the higher end game changer expectations. So a bodyweight bench press, three pull-ups. One is never enough. Three pull-ups is ideal. Uh, a 275 pound deadlift. Deadlift is a great metric. A 135-pound back squat for five reps is another uh, great aspirational metric as well. Loaded carries would be, I mean, for high-level strength in women, about 85 pounds per hand. And then that get-up, again, uh, for which I would give a lot more uh, uh, advantage to women for because they have a, a much more humble when it comes to those <laughs> uh, more technical type of movements. So uh, some tangible takeaways for you to use as frames of reference. It's always good to know maybe where you land or where you want to strive to. But uh, I'm so grateful to you all for tuning in to another episode here. I'm your humble, happy, and uh, honest, hopefully, host, Tom Foolery. And until next time, I hope you're all training very hard for the day of your test. And until then, take care.